Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning, everybody. Today is a cloudy, dreary, rainy day here in New York City, or specifically Bergen County, New Jersey. It is Tuesday, October 13, 2020. Welcome again to the Me Lowdown, produced by Delaware Municipals. Today we've got two reporters talking about two very interesting stories, as always. Uh, Eva Lorenz in San Juan, Puerto Rico, will talk about the latest on the new appointment of Justin Peterson of the lobbying firm DCI Group as a board member for the Financial Oversight Management Board, better known as FOMB in Puerto Rico. We'll talk about that. And Chuck Stanley, a reporter in New York City, I'm sorry, a reporter in Washington, D.C., will talk about New York City and their general obligation bond offering last week, uh, which was about $1.1 billion, and with spreads on the GOs jumping roughly 10 basis points above the benchmark since the last time the city came to market, which was back in August. All right, let's welcome to the show our intrepid reporter based in San Juan, Puerto Rico, Eva Lorenz. How are you? Fine, how are you? All right. Uh, always a pleasure to have a, have you on the show. We're glad to have you there on the ground in Puerto Rico covering the Commonwealth and all that's going on. So we appreciate your work down there. Thank you. Thank you all very right. much. Sure. So let's let's get right to the heart of the matter. I know the Financial Oversight and Magic Board, better known as FOMB, there's been many, many changes here. We're going to sort of call this musical chairs. Board members have come and gone. And we know it's a federal entity that oversees Puerto Rico's fiscal affairs. So tell us about these changes that have been going on. Yeah, well, first of all, as you know, the current members of the Financial Oversight and Management Board, they were supposed to have been replaced a, a year ago. But um, that has not been done. But they were allowed to continue um, staying at the board. And finally, two of the members, uh, Jose Gonzalez, who is the chief executive officer and president of, uh, of the Federal Home Loan Bank of New York, and Carlos Garcia, who is the chief executive officer of Bay Boston Manage, Managers and managing partner of Bay Boston, uh, they left in August. And now Gonzalez was uh, appointed by the Democratic leaders, and, and Garcia is a Republican. He was a, a nominee from the Republican Party. Then earlier this month, uh, the chair, board chairman, Jose Carrion, resigned. He had, during his tenure at the Financial Oversight and Management Board, he had some health problems. And, of course, he just needed, uh, wanted to do other things. So he resigned. And, of course, that left us only with uh, uh, four members. The board then appointed David Skill, who is a Republican, as chairman of the um, Financial Oversight and Management Board. Um, but, of course, all of a sudden, President Donald Trump uh, appointed a gentleman by the name of Justin Peterson, who is head of DCI, a Washington lobbying firm, and he was the person who replaced Judge Arthur Gonzalez, who was uh, appointed to the board by uh, President Barack Obama. That means that we continue to have four members at the board, but none of the other members have been replaced. So we, we only have four out of seven members that are currently working at the FOMB. I see. 
So, like you said, it's been, they should have been replaced a year ago. There's a total of seven. We have three uh, vacancies. Now, you mentioned about yes. the, new, the new person that's been appointed by President Donald Trump. Tell us about more about Justin Peterson. Well, um, first of all, uh, he uh, is the head of DCI group. Now, DCI group uh, represented general obligation bond holders uh, impacted by Puerto Rico's debt crisis, and he coordinated efforts in the U.S. Congress to stop the approval of PROMESA. Uh, which is the law that has helped Puerto Rico restructure its finances and enter bankruptcy. Um, he also got into trouble uh, uh, more recently in 2018 uh, with the local legislature because he was uh, lobbying, his firm was lobbying lawmakers to get the approval of certain legislation that would help PREPA and, of course, the Commonwealth and local lawmakers decided to do an investigation because DCI was not uh, registered as a lobbyist, but they were doing lobbying work at the at the local legislature. So at this point, we don't know. It is not certain whether or not they are still representing a general obligation bondholders. Of course, if 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 they do. Um, that would pretty much create a conflict for Peterson if he takes over uh, the board, because uh, as, as a member of the board, you're, you're not allowed, of course, to to represent any of the creditors. It will be a, a conflict. So at this point, we don't know. But he has said some interesting remarks about the board, more specifically that uh, he criticized the board for going against uh, some of the debt deals that um, uh, so some of the debt deals that the, that had already been reached with uh, board members, actually that's really not very accurate because um, the board did oppose a, a previous a debt deal that was negotiated by a former a debt restructuring officer for PREPA, a former debt restructuring officer for PREPA, and... Um, when they analyzed the debt deal, they realized that it was not going to be sustainable, and that's why they opposed it. And, of course, uh, they are currently uh, still trying to uh, negotiate uh, or amend the current debt deals because Puerto Rico has been impacted by the COVID-19 crisis. So we don't know what yet what to expect of, of Mr. Peterson. Uh, he, as far as I know, he's not in Puerto Rico, so we we still don't know what is going to happen yet with him. Right, like you said, and you mentioned the the key word there, conflict, because I know you spoke to uh, for your story, you spoke to several people, uh, and you got uh, some um, interesting um, stuff for them. Tell us about what could be the consequences of his appointment to the board. Well, first of all, right now, all of the board members, uh, none of them live in Puerto Rico. For instance, Carrion did live in Puerto Rico, but none of the board members uh, live here. Uh, one positive thing about Peterson's appointment uh, is that he does know about Puerto Rico's bankruptcy, so he is not here to learn as um, Kenneth Rivera, former Chamber of Commerce president, told me. And so that he he saw that as a positive thing for 
for for the board. However, uh, he lamented that uh, none of the board members uh, live in Puerto Rico, and he expressed some concern that future appointees are all going to be, uh, none of them are going to be from Puerto Rico, because he does mention that uh, when you are, when you are, when if you do not live here and you don't know how people in here live, it is going to be a, a lot harder or, or, or you're going to be making decisions in a cold manner. And if, if you don't know the idiosyncrasies of, of living in Puerto Rico, which but we are a U.S. territory, but we, we do have, we are different from other, from mainland states. Another concern is that all of the, the majority in the board is, is from the Republican Party and, and, and some of some local leaders have said that this is a concern because uh, they are more conservative and they fear that the current board members are going to be uh, more biased in favor of, of, of doing debt deals that will benefit bondholders instead of doing debt deals that are sustainable and that will allow for the island to get back to the markets and get in a good financial path or or be able to recuperate or its its financial stability so that those are some of the concerns that uh, that that some people have raised uh, to me in terms of disappointment and and the fact that the direction, the, the direction that the board is heading to. I see. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, who knows if that should be a requirement, but that, that means, I guess, if I have the qualifications, I could be a board member, but we won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Ava, thank you so much for your time. Uh, keep us up to date on what's going on down, down there. I'm sure you'll let us know once they start filling up the vacancies. Um, you'll uh, definitely let us know what's going on. But we appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank okay. you very much. It's a okay. pleasure. Thank Bye. you. Bye. All right. Let's welcome back to the show Chuck Stanley in Washington, D.C. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about yourself? All right. I think you're the one. I don't know if you quoted it from something else or you made it up, but 2020 is indeed the longest year of our lives ever. So I don't think uh, we're ever going to age after this, but <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> well, no, and the months keep getting longer and longer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if the year is ever actually going to end. I know there's going to be some, it's like BC, AC, like AD or whatever. It's going to be some demarcation. It's like, okay, it's going to be pre-vaccine or post-vaccine. So that, that's, that's what I see it. But anyway, <laughs> but Chuck, you're going to talk about, talk to us a little bit about city of New York and their 1.1 billion general obligation bond placement that happened last week. So let's get into that. Talk, but first talk a little bit about the, the whole environment surrounding last week's deal. I know New York issues obviously a lot of debt and why was this so interesting about this particular placement? Right, well, I mean, as you know, New York City's been hit particularly hard by the COVID-19 crisis. The outbreak in the spring, of course, was really bad in terms of the number of cases and deaths from the virus. And although the measures taken by the city have been effective at really lowering the infection rate, it's also resulted in major revenue losses. And then on top of that, the city's recovery remains uncertain. Uh, tourism, transit, dining, and other sectors are going to continue to struggle until there's a widely distributed vaccine for the virus. 
And once that happens, there's still going to be questions about whether former commuters that have been working from home all this time are going to return to their office or if some of them are going to keep working from home. So all those factors contributed to a downgrade of the city's credit not long before it came to market with this $1.1 billion general obligation bond offering, also called GEOs. Moody's downgraded the city's debt to AA2 from AA1, and that's still a high rating, but I think there were some questions about whether the move might spur investors to demand a little higher yield given the risks we just talked about. And then on top of that, the city just happened to have the misfortune of coming to market on the heels of the first net outflow of funds from the market in 20 weeks. Yeah, that was a interesting time right there. So let's let me ask you specifically about pricing and how did that shake out? Did you would you say the fact that you just described uh, pushed New York's borrowing costs even higher? Well, it turns out it was really a, a, a tale of two auctions. Um, on Monday and Tuesday, the city put the bonds on the retail market. And on Wednesday, it opened up the bonds to uh, institutional investors. So those first couple of days where you had individual investors purchasing bonds, spreads were higher than the last time the city came to market in August. The 10-year GOs were going for around 78 basis points above the AAA scale. And that's up from 67 basis points in August. So some of the analysts we spoke to thought that this might be an indication that New York was going to have to pay up to move this debt. But despite those widening spreads, demand for the bonds was still really strong among individual investors. And then when the order period for institutional investors uh, uh, opened up, demand was strong enough that the city cut yields by five to seven basis points across the board. Now, according to the city's controller, institutional offers were almost five times what the city put on offer to give you a sense of just how strong that demand was. So it really kind of offset those those higher yields we saw during the first couple of days of the deal. Well, that's interesting that there would be such a difference between the retail and the institutional pricing. Do you have a, any idea why there was such a discrepancy? Well, one source I spoke with said that with a lot of volume on the market last week, it seemed like New York came into this deal with the idea that its bonds were going to be priced to sell. So that's why we saw those higher spreads at the outset. Then once it was clear that demand was really strong, they adjusted accordingly. All right, Chuck, I got one last question. Tell us, what does this mean going forward uh, for New York? Well, it's certainly a good sign for the city that it continued to borrow at, at a low cost, but all of these changes I mentioned, challenges I mentioned before are still there. I think what a lot of investors are watching for and what a lot of the city's prospects for recovery hinge on are going to be the elections in November. Democrats have shown a real interest in backstopping state and local governments with federal aid. That continues to be a stumbling block in negotiations for a federal aid bill right now with Republicans who are a lot less enthusiastic about sending any new federal money to state and local governments. So if Democrats win the White House and the Senate, I think that boosts the prospects for aid to cities like New York, both in the near term and the years going forward. Whereas if we wind up with a divided government or you know, more Republican control, there's probably going to be a lot lower likelihood of, of new aid to uh, state and local governments like New York. Indeed, indeed. And uh, Chuck, I know you cover um, what's going on down there. Uh, as they say, within the Beltway. But Chuck, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your coverage of New York City. And we hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for having me on. Sure. That's our show for today. Thank you. Many thanks to 
Eva Lorenz in San Juan, Puerto Rico, Chuck Stanley, Washington, D.C., and our producer, Christian Ayala. But as always, thanks to you, our listeners out there, who tune in week after week for the latest on distressed mini debt on the mini lowdown. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay sane out there. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to the mini lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.